All right, uh, Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 27. Uh, we're sc- recording and timing. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> You're the best, Frank. Kevin <laughs> uh, pointed at me. Well, Frank, go. Frank, go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, see, they make me time it. Okay. Yeah, the, the big part is, is Jeff got the timer on? <laughs> Because he'll just keep rolling, not stop watch timer. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it's, It usually goes off and I ignore it anyway, but at least we know I did it. <laughs> and they keep saying more, don't stop, so I just keep going. Anyway, what we're doing is, if you'll recall, uh, things are changing. Uh, Jesus' ministry is starting to change in this chapter. He is not only going more towards, uh, well, almost exclusively to the crowds in parables. But where he's teaching and preaching is changing. He is not going as much into uh, the synagogues. Um, he is staying outside. There's reasons for that. I don't want to say, you know, I, we can assume what they are. Synagogues are becoming very dangerous because what's in synagogues is rabbis. And rabbis uh, have connections to Jerusalem. Now, he's still up, he's in Capernaum. I mean, he's still way up there. And the danger, the real danger is down in Jerusalem. I mean, it's everywhere, but, um, you know, the people who are going to kill him are, are down in Jerusalem. And so there's been a big change. Now, he's also getting his, uh, after the parables, if you remember, he's also bringing in his disciples to, do, do you guys get this? You know, after each one, and then he explains them. He's getting them ready to take over. I mean, he's he is preparing for what's coming. And we're in the middle of it right here in this chapter. And if you could sense that while he's doing it, it adds a little more to it. And once again, I'll tell you if you have if you are not watching the chosen, which is basically Matthew's point on Jesus' life, it just brings this all to life. It really does. But anyway, we're on a um, a 27 this is the slave of the uh, this is the um, tares I believe yeah yes. yeah the tares have been sown and we talked about the tares and uh, how they look identical to the wheat and you can't really tell their tares until they get so big and God uh, he says don't tear them out until and like I said if you've ever had a garden and your what your planet isn't um, established when you pull out anything else by the roots, you pull out what you planted. And so, the slaves of the landowner came and told him and said to him, "Sir, do you not did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares?" The workers asked what seemed to be a rhetorical question. No one would sow tares, and that leads to the real question: How did this happen? Uh, and so, they were. It's odd they would have been the ones who sown the seed. I mean, they were the workers. And he said to an an enemy, uh, literally, the translation is a hostile man, somebody who's against me, has done this. The slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? Do you want us to rip out the tares? This was not a random act of nature. I mean, tares could blow in all by themselves, but he's he's answering their question, how did it happen? It was planned and enacted to harm the crop and the farmer. You see, when the wheat is harmed, the farmer is harmed. And as I've told you many times, the enemy doesn't care at all about the wheat. The wheat's incidental. 
he cares about hurting the farmer. And the way that Satan, our enemy, can hurt God is by hurting what God loves. And um, so, as I've said many times, for Satan, we're pawns in a game. For God, we're the reason the game is played. You know, we're, we're what you win. The workers asked the farmer one of them to separate now as they both grow. Would have been very labor intensive and it would have required two harvests. And those same guys would have got to go. The first harvest would have been even harder because you would have had to separate and look through everything. You don't just go through and cut everything down. <coughs> this harvest would have been twice as hard as the real harvest. One for the weeds and one for the wheat. Uh, and and he said no, which any of the servants would have said, thank you. For a while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Uh, when the weeds are close to the plant, and when you pull the weeds out, you may pull out the plants also, because they intertwine. And you break up the dirt, and when you break up what their foundation, what they're anchored to. Uh, so basically, let's put it this way. If there are people who are problematic in a church and you destroy the church, it would hurt the people in that church who are not problematic, who are seeking God and worshiping God. That's just my take on this. Or when you run a sickle through, how will you cut just the weeds? Um, allow both to grow, grow together until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather up the wheat into my barn. As soon as the harvest is complete, the first thing done is the binding and burning of the weeds. Then the wheat is taken into the barn to be used. Um, you could take this, and I, I don't know how literally to take it, but when he tells you things like this, he's giving you a little bit of a heads up on order of things. Uh, bundled to be burned or barned to be used. That's all there is. There is no other option. Everything out there Everything growing will either be burned or barned. There's nothing in between. Every human being you pass, you've ever seen in your life, you've ever heard on the radio, talked to on the phone, will be burned or barned. And if you want to take it further, go to Jesus' description of the sheeps and the goats. That's all there is. There's nothing else. He presented another parable uh, to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. You see, these next, this parable and the next one speak to the growth of the kingdom. He's changing directions. We, looking in hindsight, can see how vast it has become from the time this parable was given. They had no idea how big this was going to be. Think about it. It's 2,000 years later. We're 5,000 miles away. And we're gathered here to talk about it. When Jesus was talking about this is what the mustard seed became. We're living it. We are that giant tree. And hindsight is how our faith grows. It really is. What has God done? Gives you faith for what he will do. Faith grows from hindsight. God always said before he brought it, before he brings anything hard, he says, remember when I, he's preparing you. He said, hey, you can trust me. And in this point, what he's telling them, and, and I don't know if they got it, but I do. This is prophecy. This is prophetic. And man, look at it. This entire world. And from these 12 guys, the kingdom did not happen by accident. It was planted. 
and nurtured by God, knowing exactly what he would get in return. There, there was no surprise in it becoming what it became. And in that, and I think we could all look back through the church history and what quote-unquote people calling themselves Christians have done, and we could see the terrors too. I think there, you know, uh, more damage has been done by people calling themselves Christians than it had ever been caused by people worshiping Satan or whatever else they do. And this is a smaller than any than all other seeds, but when it's full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air and then and nest come and nest in its branches. We would most likely call it a bush. <laughs> but over there, they know what that means. I mean, <laughs> you could be looking at the other hill and says, where can we meet you? He said, over by that mustard tree. And everybody go, oh, right there. Whereas here, it would just be a shrub. And they're like 8 to 12 feet tall. Uh, and that bird's finding shelter in the branches, that's the kind of thing that's kind of neat. Uh, that speaks to us, and it speaks to actually the whole world. That's used several times. It's it's got Jesus pulling from the Old Testament, Ezekiel 17 and 31, Psalms 104 and Daniel 4. That analogy is used all through there. The kingdom will grow to accommodate all the birds. Whatever is needed, whatever branches need to be there will be there. God is tending to it, I think, is the most important part of this. No matter what we complain about or what we come up against, what the church, the true church has faced, and it has faced a lot. Sometimes the branches get pruned back. Some, God has always tended to the kingdom. Uh, Matthew 17, 20, and he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have the face the side of a mustard seed, he takes that mustard seed, and by now everybody needs to understand that it, it, what it is. I used to have a little pendant that had a mustard seed in it, and it was just this, looked like the size of a tick. And you will say to the mountain, move from here and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Mark 3, 33-34 says, With many such parables he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. Which goes back to, I'm not sure they fully comprehended how vast what he was saying was. Though the point is always, you know, the kingdom of God is this. It's powerful. You may not see it. But what he's telling them is what we're doing right now, the 12 of us, the 13 of us sitting here, it's going to explode. I don't know if they ever comprehended it, but it's, that's, it says so far as they were able to understand it. Eventually, their understanding came because they wrote the Bible. You know what I mean? And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. 33. Oh, any time if you have any questions or anything. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Uh, three pecks of flour, that's, that's a, I think a couple other times that amount is used. Uh, when Sarah, um, I think when the travel, when God himself in, I don't know what form came, I think before they went to, I think that's where it was before he went down to Sodom. She took three pecks. That's 60 pounds of flour. This isn't, I mean, so you have this huge amount of flour and a little speck, a little. So it's just trying to give you an idea of how small this started. Well, 
there's 13 guys sitting in the wilderness in Israel in, in a country nobody wants to be in. None of them were greatly educated. And that's the leaven right there. And the world is that 60-pound glop of... It's around a bushel. Uh, you know, I, I spent an hour trying to figure out how much three measures of flour was. And there was all kinds of, you know... And it's generally, I came to the conclusion, it's around a bushel. So, it's not recorded in Mark this, but Luke does record it. Lemon was a, a piece of a last week's dough. It's not quite what we call yeast, uh, which certainly made this week's dough rise. But not strictly yeast. For them, that's what it was. Oh man, it's warm. We've got bugs already. This parable continued to the point of the mustard seed parable. That's the same point. So the, must, the tiny mustard seed, that little bit of leaven. Mm -hmm. Out of this small band of politically and socially insignificant followers in the middle of an obscure place, the entire world would be changed. I, I want to go as far as to say these two are prophecy. He's, he's telling them what's coming. You know, this is because in, you know, prophecy doesn't necessarily deal with the future. I mean, just because something deals with the future, that's not what makes a prophecy. What makes a prophecy is it comes from God. It's God's message to his people. But this one does seem to deal with the future. The leaven uh, would be the word and spirit of God that comes upon the earth. The woman was putting her piece of leaven into three measures of flour, which oh, I put it in here. The quantity used by Sarah in 18.6, Gideon in Judge uh, 6.19, and Hannah in 1 Samuel 1.24, until the whole was leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowd in parables. And he did not speak to them without a parable. So this is a change. And it also, this has a lot to do with the constant beratement and challenges from the scribes, the Pharisees, and uh, the Sadducees, that everybody, the, the priest. Remember, there's quite an entourage of, of people in the, uh, the, the religious, political, a hierarchy of Israel. Um, they are run by priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. That's quite a concoction. And they didn't all see eye to eye. And Jesus has to deal with them continually. And, and in there is the rabbis. Some rabbis could actually be a Pharisee or a Sadducee. But there's the ones who don't claim to be either. Now he's to the point where he's talking to the people. He's, he's I don't want to say he's, yeah, he is, he's going around them and going right to the people. This was to fulfill, and don't miss this, you know, because they said, why are you doing this? This was to fulfill was spoken through the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. So in these parables, he is telling us things that before the earth was formed were going to happen. What he just said about the kingdom and what the kingdom was going to become, that was known before the earth was formed. He's just letting them know. God and I worked this out before we made this. And I'm just giving you a heads up. This is, this is where we are. It's just starting. The leaven has just gone in. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is systematically working his way through all the Old Testament prophecies concerning him. He knows them as uh, he knows all of them because, well, he inspired them. He gave them. 
uh, he's intimately familiar, familiar with them. This comes from Psalm 78, 1 through 4. Listen, O my people, to my instruction, incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. Well, here we are once again, 2,000 years later, and we're still telling the ones that he told. Uh, that the guy that wrote this uh, actually has, he was quite a prophet of himself. Uh, 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the terrors of the field. Jesus alters the focus of his teaching from the crowds to the disciples, starting to prepare them for what is coming. Um, the disciples are going to have to explain these uh, parables. You know, Jesus is now spreading out the load. He, you know, he's starting to send them out to do things. Um, and he also knows that he's not going to be here much longer. But they at least are honest enough. You know how sometimes when you read something in the Bible or, and you go, hmm, I don't really know what that meant. So you read past it and you just go, I'll deal with it later. Or, you know, I'll just, I won't turn there again <laughs> because it challenges something that you thought was the right thing. And this seems to be saying something different. I give it to these guys for saying, what? You know, well, when you have the teacher in front of you, you got to take advantage of it. And so I'll give them for that. Hey, we didn't get what you're saying. I don't, we don't really, of course they don't. It's it, like I said, here we are in hindsight with 2,000 years of, oh, we know what that means. They don't. I mean, they, they don't see all this. He said, the one that sows the good seed is the son of man, me. There is no problem with the seed or the sower. They are what they should be and more. The sowing is not a one-time thing, but a continuous activity. The field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. Once again, there are no other types of sons. This world, creation as a whole, is the stage upon which the plan for God for his people plays out. Satan cannot pull the seeds God planted in this world. He can't pull them out or kill them. So he sows weeds next to them to discredit and limit their influence. This is what he can do. This is what he does. This has been going on since this was said. The real damage to the church comes from very close by. Comes from next to the church. Counterfeit money brings all real money into question. When counterfeit money is going around, every time somebody gets a $100 bill, they pick it up and go like this. And they look into the light as if they knew what they were doing with it, you know, to make sure it's a good one. Well, that's what happens to the church. When people get into the church, those tares get in there and they do horrible things. They hurt people and they don't, they basically uh, pursue political gain, spiritual gain, uh, not spiritual gain, but uh, financial gain, physical gain, everything but what they should be pursuing. Uh, our enemy is crafty. Romans 10, 1 through 3, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer for God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance 
with knowledge. That's quite a statement. And anybody who teaches, preaches, or leads anything should pay attention to that. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. In other words, they're saying a whole lot of stuff, but they don't know what they're talking about. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, why they do what they do, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. You see, bottom line is no matter what anybody gets up and says, it's how they're living that really is the witness. It backs up what they're saying. And if it ever comes to that point, then it's time to stop saying. Uh, 39. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. Jesus is speaking to these guys. The, the church is just growing, and he's already reaching all the way to the end. So we don't have hindsight for this. We're, up, we're, we're in the middle of this. And I always tell you, remember where we are. It's important to understand where exactly we are in the middle of all this. You know, what has happened? It's been created. Uh, we fell. The law came. Uh, the lineage and the prophecies of Christ came. Christ came. Christ rose from the dead. The church came. <coughs> That's where we are now. We're in the middle of that. Well, what's left? Well, all these things yet to come. So he's giving us one that we don't have any hindsight on. And the reapers are the angels. Jesus makes it clear. This is about how things conclude. He's telling us, I know you guys are going to worry because you're going to face a lot of hard things. And I know you're going to say, is God here? And I know you're going to say, I don't see it. I, I, I'm losing my faith. Jesus is saying, I've got the whole thing planned. There'll never be a time where it won't be what I want it to be. It, it's going to do exactly what I, it's because this is going to end exactly the way I want it to. And I'm giving you a little heads up. He's preparing them for what they're going to face in their life. Knowing this gives you faith. It builds your faith for what you're seeing. God's saying, I got this. I've always had it. You know, instead of, could you imagine these people being thrown to the lions, tied to a stake, and, you know, watching their children and their family being eaten by tigers and stuff, and how you could come to the point of despair. Where are you, God? God's saying, oh, this is, it's mine. Nothing's happening here that, you know, that I cannot intercede. This is going to end exactly like I want it to. And it ends very dramatically. He's well aware of every moment in human history and everything is going as planned. Everything will be made right at the end. The angels do their job and they do what God sends them out to do. They do with his authority. Matthew 24, 30-31 And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will go see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. This is still Matthew writing a couple chapters later. This is Jesus talking about himself. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds. You know that picking up the wheat to be brought into the barn? Um, and just before that he told you what's going to happen with the tares. But in Matthew 24 he tells you what happens with the wheat from one end of the sky to the other. 
I'm getting everybody. There is nobody I'm going to miss. You know, the sea will give up its dead. It's just, you know, uh, my father, my mother, my grandparents, Bobby, every, you know, your mother, your father. He's not going to miss one of them, you know. And I am going to go into this, what happens after we die. I'm going to start this Sunday. It is hard, like I said last time, it is very hard to keep an eternal perspective if you don't know what what's coming in eternal. And because it's a little confusing at times and a little troubling, we read past it. And we just assume, make it into what we court to want to be. We'll hear somebody say something about heaven and we'll go, oh yeah, I like that. That's what heaven's going to be. Well, scripture makes it very clear. How long, heaven is not a permanent thing. Heaven is a place where we stay until this happens. Then there's a reuniting of the body. We will be physical beings once again. They call it a glorified body or whatever. God has it all planned out. He puts it all in there. But man, it's a lot to think about. Most of us say, I'm just happy I'm going. Well, I'll be clear. Uh, if God put it in there, he wants you to know it. So. I got a question. Yes. So heaven, there's a different, when you say with heaven, once God puts it all together, is it still going to be heaven or is it another... He said a new heaven a and new a new heaven. earth. Okay. So That's what it is now, difference. I'll go a little into my sermon right now. Go ahead. Because it needs to be said, because this is dealing with it. Um, right now, the best way for me to describe heaven is it's where God is where we cannot be. God is, see, we come to this, God is on his throne as heaven, but God is everywhere. So is he on his throne as heaven or is he everywhere? So that's something we have to deal with, and well, I'll deal with it. But anyway, this whole part, is the, the thing that separated heaven, especially something big happened in heaven when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That splitting of the veil. Remember, the Holy of Holies was symbolic of heaven. Nobody could go in there except one person, which Jesus Christ symbolized, which Hebrews tell us was the great high priest. All those other high priests were to point to Jesus Christ. He's the only one who came here who could go there. And he came from, he's the only one that came from there to here and went back. He, he actually said that. I'm the one, the Son of Man is the one who descended and ascended. I'm it. His ascension, when the veil tore, opened up heaven. All those things I read at funerals mm -hmm. happened because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Or else we would be in the bosom of Abraham. We would not. We would be where all the dead were before. That's why Jesus descended before. All the parables about the bosom of Abraham or that place of holding. The righteous stayed until what needed to be done was done. So up until Jesus Christ rising, heaven was the place where God, I'll put it this way, was totally manifested himself. It's where the angels came to him. It's where the spiritual beings came to him. That's all through scripture. Satan himself had to come to him in heaven. And, you know, and the angels come to him in heaven. That does no way limit where he is. So you could ask yourself, was he in the Holy of Holies and in heaven? Yes. He is all, that's what omnipresent means. And that's very hard for us to understand. All right, but now well, we got that one out of there. Just a little preview. There's a lot to think about there. And do you see why people read past it and go, eh, just, I just know I'm going to be there. I'll be happy. 
Yes. So now that now the Christ rose from the dead and he tore the veil in the temple and we have access to the throne of God absent from the body present with the Lord and that's your spirit but there is a time when the dead will rise and what does he say those dead in Christ will rise first they're in heaven the body will rise the sea will give up its dead they're not sleeping I mean, it just it because at times old session especially uses the word sleep. That don't mean they're sleep. That's just a euphemism for death. As far as we're concerned, it looks like they're sleeping. It never says that. Um, anyway, I'm sorry, I digressed, but maybe that needed to be said. All right, back to where we are. Just so, so just as the terrors are gathered up and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Uh, Verses 40 through 42, leave little dot, that those who hamper the church, the counterfeit Christians, will be dealt with very severely. Um, the people who want to believe that God, that there is no punishment, that there is no wrath, that there is no reckoning, are in error. Scripture is just completely full of it. I mean, you can't, make it all go away there's just there's no theology you can come up with that makes this go away it, it's plain it's clear it's continuous uh, God is just and just he is both love and justice what love does not cover what people refuse to accept in love if you refuse to accept his love you will face his justice it is just that simple 41 the son of man will send forth his angels and they were gathered out of the kingdom all the stumbling blocks. Those who committed lawlessness. Where is he gathering them out of? The kingdom. This is pretty specific stuff. And, with, and what is it, who are the stumbling blocks? The people who are lawless. The people who are not living righteously. The people who, what does Jesus say? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. That's the simplest way I know of to find. How much do you love God? Well, how much are you obeying Him? How much is that the drive of your life? Um, and I'm not saying that what, what the scriptures say, we all sin, we all fall short. Absolutely, I get that. But the drive of your life has got to be to please God. And we'll throw them into the furnace of fire in a place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is his descriptive as it comes a furnace consumes uh what is changes it to ash matthew uses the phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth six times emotional distress and physical pain weeping and gnashing of teeth <coughs> okay then the righteous will shine forth as the sun and the kingdom of their that's a quote from the old uh, old testament in the kingdom of their father he who has an ear let him hear every time you hear jesus say he who has an ear let him hear he's saying pay attention think about what i just said you know this uh, don't let this just be words in the ends the weeds will be dealt with the good seed will be glorified the tares will be burnt this is what he said back up in two parables ago everyone who uh everyone who was ever whoever was will know which was which 
there will be no explanations. There will be no... Uh, the time for repentance is over. Um, the time for sentencing has come. Up until your sentence, you can you, you you are free to take the plea. Honest to goodness. Up until the time the sentence is handed down, the plea is the plea bargain's on the table. Come to Christ. You know, I died for you. Accept it. And people say no. No, I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't want it. It'll limit me. If I do that, he's going to demand that I do this, and they make their choice. But once the sentence has been done, it's over. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Matthew gives us three short parables to begin with the kingdom of heaven is like. And they're found only in Matthew, these next three. The first two speak to the value of the kingdom of heaven. The third speaks to the consequences of refusing it. These three go in order for a reason. To make a point, the first, the final one goes, oh, if, if you don't follow that point, this is what happens. In the days before banks and safety deposit boxes, people buried their treasures. I just saw, I can't remember, like a couple weeks ago, in England, Farmers are always plowing their fields and hitting this treasure trove of buried Roman treasure of some sort, or even further back, like gold. And they're like, hey, what's this? And that's because that's what people did. And then they died, and nobody knew where they buried it. So basically, I mean, think about it. You got this gold. The world is a wicked hard place. I mean, I think we all know that. What do I do with it? You bury it. Somewhere only you know where it is. Um, in the days where they, okay, this is why the farmers are still finding treasures in their fields from centuries before. They're hitting people's banks, is what they're doing. The servant, who, think of the servant who buried the talents. Remember in the thing about the talents, the servant said, I'll go bury it. That's what he's doing. He's keeping it safe. He's putting it in a bank is the best way to put it. That's not some obscure thing. He's doing that for a reason, so that nobody could steal it. The reason he may have buried again is that if he found it in another field, the others would claim it. Because this is sort of a strange thing. He said he hit it, and it says, which he, the man found it and hit again. Uh, so he found it was hidden, then he hit it. And from joy he goes out and sells all that he has and buys the field that he hid it in. So basically what he did is he finds it buried. He could have just left it there. And, well, nobody else found it, So, but the person who buried it might still be alive. So this is sort of a strange thing. So he takes it out of there. He takes it to some other spot that only he knows. He buries it, and then he says, I better buy this field because nothing's stopping the guy that owns this field from plowing it over or whatever. Point is, he's paying for his treasure. He's paying a price for this treasure. And this is much like the kingdom of God. Uh, <coughs> another's filled so no others could claim it. And he's making sure that it's his. He's paying a price and he's squirreling it away where it's his and no one could take it from him. Uh, it's not only that, it's legally his. 
which is a whole lot to do with what has to happen. Everything that Jesus did, everything the Old Testament talked about, all the law, Jesus legally obtained us. Uh, everything that needed to be answered, every price that needed to be paid, was paid. Every debt owed, everything was taken care of. The treasure he found in this earth was so valuable to him that he bankrupted himself to get it. Everything that he had to buy that. Jesus Christ came and gave his life. There is nothing more profound and valuable in heaven than Jesus Christ. Just as the merchant sold everything to gain the pearl in the next voice, the verse. As Jesus does not provide explanation of this parable, they didn't say, what? There are a couple ways of seeing this. The buyer is God and the things of great value is you. Israel, his people. Israel and then us as the new Israel. Or the buyer is the man who finds God and commits totally to him. It works either way. You can't turn this around and say, you know, saying it's a person who finds God and does and sells everything. What did he say to the rich young man? Sell everything you have to obtain this. So it works either way. I tend to go with seeing it as God. But uh, I have no problem with going the other way. We'll wrap up there on 45 because my uh, the Rolling Stones have sang. <laughs> Once the Stones sing, it's over, man. It's just... It's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what I thought was interesting was the fact that the um, disciples asked him about the seed parable. He didn't ask him about the mustard seed. He didn't ask right. him about the about the leavening, which again, which we know comes way after the, the field is plowed and everything is done. But they hadn't even got that far. It was just kind of like I don't even understand the very first part. Let alone now that this is going to be such a huge correct abundance of everything. Yeah, this is this is prophecy. Yes, I mean he is telling them profound things. Isn't that what? It said profound things from before the earth was formed. My plan, I'm explaining how this is all going to work out in these little stories. Uh, and thankfully, we're living in a point in time right now where it's uh, under, a lot of it is understandable. Mm -hmm. and, and, but there's some of it still. So we can see that. We're in the middle of this. There are things we get. And there are things we still haven't get that one day people will look at it and go, oh my, that's it. I won't be here, but that's fine with me. I know where I'll be. Anything else? Well, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. And as always, uh, Lord, you just gave so much to, just so that we could know you. And Lord, I just ask that your word find a home in our heart and change us. And Lord, I ask you to watch over my brothers and sisters, make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate, and help them to glorify your name in what they think, what they do, and what they say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.